Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, we're joined by another longtime friend of Pragmatic, Luke Feiler. Luke is the CEO and founder of CenterCode, a customer validation company that helps hundreds of enterprise and high-growth technology companies build and release successful products. Welcome, Luke. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, always a pleasure to have you. All right, let's start. Just give us a little bit more about you, Luke, and about CenterCode. Uh, awesome. So as you mentioned, my name is Luke Freiler. I am the CEO of CenterCode. Uh, it wasn't always that way. I actually founded this company as CTO, and I, I do have a background on more of the engineering side. So prior to starting CenterCode, I actually worked for uh, Samsung and Ericsson. Uh, and Ericsson being a very large telecom tech company was where the idea for this company uh, was founded. So basically a, a product manager came to me. I ran a, a web team at the time, basically everything that was sort of web facing sat under me. And he came to me and asked me to run a beta test for a product. And at the time I asked him, okay, what, what does that mean? What do we do? How do we do that? And his answer was, we don't really have a process. And I said, well, you know, we're a hundred thousand person, hundred year old tech company that, that seems impossible. We have a four inch guide on how to use the logo. Um, there's no way that there's something required to get a product to market that, that we don't have down pat. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders at me and, and said, no, we don't, man. And if you can find one, use it. So I, I took that as an initiative to explore. And, and I discovered that that was true, that Ericsson as, as this large company didn't really have a, a set process. They, they saw the value and they had a requirement, but they didn't really have any way to get it done. So I used that as an opportunity to ultimately leave Ericsson, uh, take a few key team members with me, three other people, and we founded this company to, to basically solve that problem, the problem of customer testing and, and bringing technology to market. So we, we did this quite a while ago. We started this nearly 18 years ago, and, and we bootstrapped it as just a very small enterprise. Uh, at the time, as I said, I was CTO. I ran sort of the product side of the company. And over time, I mentored into the CEO role. And now I sort of think of the company as my product. And, and I really do sort of shape the company. And ultimately, our goal is to help many other companies release better products with the help of their customers and their market. So we basically help introduce companies to their market and sort of facilitate a conversation, a meaningful conversation that produces a better product in the end. And the ROI from there is, is a more usable, higher quality product with uh, you know, fewer returns, higher reviews, higher sales, and, and just a better experience all around. That's sort of a win-win to the customer and the company. And primarily, we work with sort of the high growth startups or the high growth companies, the Fitbits and Roku's of the world. Um, on the other side, we work with these sort of modern enterprises, everyone from Procter and Gamble to uh, Ford and Citibank and then some of the really big names. So a lot of very iconic, amazing customers that, that were incredibly excited to, to get the opportunity to help shape their products or more importantly, help them work with their customers to shape their products. All right, so you just promised more revenue and happier customers. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure everyone's listening is like, yes, I too would like that. That is the goal. Uh, <laughs> that would, that's everyone's goal, right? So let's talk about what you mean by customer validation and kind of what different forms that takes for you guys. Sure. So quite simply, we, we've sort of separated out customer validation as kind of the, the capital letter version of, of customer testing. It's sort of the new way about testing products in the modern era. 
And what we're really doing is, is differentiating from the way that things used to be done, not only in how they were tested, but how products were released. So the traditional approach to beta testing, which again is varied, everybody did it differently and, and typically had a lot of friction and, and ultimately poor results. But it, it was this idea of, I'm gonna put a lot of energy into testing a product that's about to go out to market. And what that was, was something that aligned with sort of the more waterfall method of developing product, where I put a lot of energy over a period of time into getting a product out the door. And then it sort of goes into a maintenance mode where I focus most of my effort on the next product. And, and that waterfall you know, mentality was used for a very long time. Um, but things in technology have changed quite a bit. Um, you know, first and foremost, we're, we're not really using Waterfall as much. Everything's moved to a much more iterative and agile process. Uh, technology's gotten far more sophisticated. It's, you know, hardware and software and services working in concert um, describes most products that come out nowadays. Um, and if it's not a hardware product, then it's software and services to some degree working in concert. Uh, products are also much more interconnected than they ever were. So you typically don't have a product that can survive and succeed on its own merits anymore. Uh, the products around it uh, are very much influencing its performance and the perception of that product. So, you know, there was a, a time when I bought a, a thermostat for my house and it just did what it did for, for 10 or 20 years. And that's simply not the case anymore. Most thermostats now have some sort of smart component, they're voice controlled, they talk to other products in the house and so on. Um, and many of those products, of course, are not within the control of, of that product. They, they share an ecosystem, but, but they're interconnected. So uh, the same is true of software. We now have single sign-on and APIs and integrations and so on. So even software doesn't stand on its own. It's very interconnected. Uh, and then most importantly, and this is the real one, is, is everything's become iterative. So virtually all products are now starting to be thought of more as services and, and they're, they're being changed over time. So whereas it used to be about bringing a product to market was you know develop it and then run this big beta test, maybe an internal alpha test, and then go to market and start working on the next one. Uh, now there's a great deal of more energy being put into maintaining and iterating products as services with all these evolving interconnections. And this relationship gets complicated because all of those products that, that are you know involved in those interconnections are also evolving and what are typically leading to that iteration so it's just sort of technology all moving together and the big difference uh, the main difference between sort of customer validation and and traditional beta testing besides traditional testing not really being as defined um, is we're looking at three sort of key phases to customer validation the the first is alpha and alpha you know very similar to the old is is very much a test of an early product that's not necessarily for feature complete it's not done yet and it's typically tested on a segment of the market that's technographically focused, but not necessarily demographically focused. So in other words, when you think of your target market, you're often thinking of the demographics of who they are. But in the technology space, we also have to worry about the technographics of who they are. What is the technology that surrounds these people that's going to integrate or interact with this product? So Alpha is very much focused on that. Is, is, is the product going to work or is its relationships with other products going to inhibit it before it even gets, you know, gets functional? So Alpha is very much about tech technographic and, and just that subset of the market. Um, and, and again, now we're just talking about the first time a product gets to market. So from there we move to beta. Uh, again, conceptually similar in that it really is a test of the entire product by its real target market. But in the customer validation world, there's a much more specific process and methodology for how this is done. So how we look at both technographics and demographics in recruitment, how we produce um, sort of a test that re results in testers focusing on a specific part of the product from week to week to ensure that the entire product gets as many eyes on and as many hands on it as possible over that period of time. And again, at that point, we're still focused on getting a product to market. So alpha technographic, beta, both technographic and demographic, a real market at that point, and then you go to market. And, and that part up until then is, again, much more 
processized, uh, much more of a methodology, but conceptually similar. Uh, what comes after that is the lion's share of the work and where things get really unique is delta testing. And what delta testing is, is effectively testing the difference between any two releases. So while it typically happens after a product is released, um, it's not actually happening on a post-release product. So in other words, it's not just market research, it's not just focusing on your existing audience, but rather it is a test of an unreleased product. It is the next version of the product. So a delta test is by its nature virtually always a software test but often involves hardware. In other words, you're not pushing new hardware out to market because the hardware exists. It's the software and services on top of it, those layers that are being iterated. So a delta test is focused on, okay, testing the delta, the difference between any two releases. Um, so in that case, we're taking a subset of the audience and we're focusing their, their energy and their activity um, around whatever has changed in the product. So if it's bug fixes and things that are getting better, then it's testing that. If it's new features, it's testing that. If it's new integrations with other products that are evolving, then it's testing that. So in a sense, it is an agile aligned customer testing methodology that keeps a product uh, going after launch. It basically reduces the risk that you're injecting every time you do a new release that could, you know, worst case, brick a product that's already succeeding in the market and cause a pretty bad U-turn in terms of where that product's going. So alpha, beta, and delta. Uh, first two about bringing a product to market and the third being an iterative continuous process that aligns with the ongoing agile development of that product and all the services and software that, that evolves around that product. All right, so I'm gonna ask you a bunch of questions now. Please. Okay, so um, in terms of the delta testing, is it is it the same basic testing as beta, just really focused in on those spots that are different release over release, or are there other types of tests that are involved? Uh, very similar. Um, the what we call the loop, the sort of individual test week, is incredibly similar. Um, what's really different is the beginning and the end. So the beginning is focused on mapping a sprint. So as opposed to mapping out an entire product into products, into topics that need to be tested and sort of activities that need to be done, it's focused on an individual sprint. So it very much is aligned with the ongoing development of the product. So um, in a case where, you know, again, you're changing a few things and improving a few things, it's gonna be a subset of activities just focused on that. Uh, the other difference is in recruiting. Uh, you're typically going to be replenishing as opposed to finding an entirely new tester base. So when you're running an alpha or you're running a beta, chances are you're going to look for a big group of people to test that thing. Uh, in this case, the idea is to keep sort of a community going. And then as people fall off because, you know, life becomes a thing, you're just simply replenishing with each individual, uh, with each individual sprint, each phase. So you bring in new people based on whoever happened to fall out. Um, one of the other key differences is in a beta, it's very typical that people sort of fall off and there's a lot of methodology in place to keep them engaged. With a delta, it's actually encouraged that, look, if you're busy, just please let us know. It's absolutely okay to leave. And if you do let us know, then you'll be invited back if you have the time at a later date. But by proactively telling us that you're leaving, we can replenish you as a resource in this test. So the methodology and kind of the mentality that's, that's imbued to the testers changes a little bit in that sense as well. So it starts with just mapping a sprint. It then involves replenishing whatever testers happen to fall off. You then message whatever you're going to be testing that week. So whatever the focus of the test is. And in this case, it could be a, a week, could be an entire delta, or you know, more realistically, two weeks up to a month, depending on what your sprint cycles look like for an external release. 
Um, and then the other difference is the way that incentives are handled. Typically incentives in this model are some sort of ongoing subscription style incentive. So if it's relative to the product, then it might be some sort of subscription relative to that. You know, maybe there's a cloud storage component or something and you're sort of less giving that for free. And if possible, you're gonna automate those subscriptions as part of this process. So when people get um, onboarded into the test and sort of invited as part of replenishment, then they understand there's some sort of incentive involved in doing that. And at the end of the test, if they leave, then that stops and, and just comes back if they happen to rejoin. Um, but that said, the actual test loop, the idea of coming together with a few activities to these testers, communicating to them exactly what needs to be tested, um, not a test case in a QA sense, but more of a general activity where they should be focusing their energy in, in the product. Um, that part of week to week activity is, is virtually identical to what would happen in a beta test in the customer validation space. Awesome. Okay. So now uh, you mentioned that you're refreshing the testers who fell out. Uh, that just made me think, is there concerns about almost um, testers who are too knowledgeable about a product? If you keep using the same testers, does that start to bias or change? Are they, are they experts at that point? Typically, there's a natural ebb and flow where some people are going to fall out and some are going to stay. And you're going to sort of get to know those testers. And those are the people who are going to be more inclined to sort of notice the differences. So in this case, it's very valuable to split the difference and to make sure that both are represented. And that'll typically happen very naturally. Because again, most people, you'll, you'll have your evangelists, your advocates who, who really love the product, want to help shape it, want to keep involved. But those are always going to be a minority. Um, the other thing that those people are going to be very valuable for is sort of showing the ropes to the new people. You know, in the customer validation space, this happens in a very collaborative sense where this is, again, sort of a private community of these people. So in that case, those people become sort of the mentors and the gurus of the team. Um, and they're going to be the people who are mo more focused typically on finding issues and quality type issues, whereas more of the user experience side is going to be represented by those new people who are kind of coming in. And again, it, typically there's going to be a natural flow to where it's going to be a mix of both. Great. Okay. So then the other thing we talked about early on, on the Delta was uh, that you're really testing the changes that are known that are occurring in this next release. Yep. What about the kind of unintended consequences of, of, a, of changes, right? That may not be in the area where you expected it to be, but had, um, you know, you, you changed this spot, but it affected this thing over here. You wouldn't necessarily know that. How are those caught in the Delta or are those caught through a different process? Um, I mean, in, in many cases, those are hopefully going to be caught in your internal quality processes. Delta is not a replacement for a traditional sort of quality process that, that's ran internally or even sort of through sort of a crowdsource mechanism. Um, it really is supposed to represent the real customers. Um, one of the nice ways that, that Delta addresses that is, is inherent to sort of how a Delta is, is recruited. So one thing to keep in mind about a Delta is it doesn't force a lot or it, it doesn't it's not subject to a lot of the inherent restrictions or constraints of a typical beta or an alpha. So for example, when you're talking about a beta, especially if it's a hardware product, um, there's always a restraint on, on units, how many you know, pre-production units of a certain status or a certain state we can get and get out to that audience. So typically you're very, very limited and you need as much as possible out of every tester because of that constraint. The nice thing about a Delta is it is always a product that is out to market already, which means you already have an audience. So in other words, I, I'm taking a long way of saying you can have more testers. Um, you can have a bigger group of people than you would 
in an alpha or a beta, so you can get more out of them because again, you're typically testing an over-the-air software update to an existing product, so you can pull straight from your market as opposed to having to recruit strangers. Um, so you're, you know, the short version is you're getting some of that out of your quality process. You should, of course, be, be finding those things. But in addition, you're going to have a wider group of hands focused on this delta than you would a traditional alpha or beta. So that's going to help a lot of those things from falling through the cracks because you just don't have the constraint that you typically would. Can you, uh, can you share, I know you work with a bunch of different customers. Can you share some examples of some delta testing and maybe what you found or some good successes? Um, not easily. <laughs> so one, one of the problems with our space is that, that virtually everything we do is, is confidential. Um, you know, one thing that I can speak to that, that's just been very useful is the fact that we run deltas of our own product. You know, we, we very much have a, a snake eating its own tail to a degree um, to where we have our own delta community of, of testers. We, you know, typically companies sort of brand these. We, we call these our go early users. And the way our delta works is, is we're on a monthly cycle, uh, roughly. And every month we release to our delta community of users, which is a subset of our audience who've opted in. And then they are usually on that for about a month. And then it moves on to the next and there's just a staggered release process right they're always one ahead um, and I would say that those users have dramatically shaped um, a lot of the sort of polish and quality aspects of our product in, in terms of sort of things that, that we made as judgment calls that, that we thought were going to be very good and didn't go that way um, you know and it, it just it, this is going to sound very vague because to some degree it has to be but it, it very well aligns with the methodology of, of Agile and then the idea that you know requirements aren't planned nine months out we're sort of you know shooting from the hip a little bit um, in terms of how we're iterating these products and I hate that analogy it doesn't work very well here um, but but that in that sense we've we've been using this for for years now and it has completely shaped our product and you know being that we for years and years were thought of as a company focused on beta testing because that was sort of the most known term um, we haven't run a traditional beta test of our product in years and we've sort of talked internally and kind of brainstormed about how we never will again. You know, we are a platform company. So we have one major platform that is, you know, the bulk of our revenue. And in that sense, for I'd say a few years now, um, we've been running Delta tests exclusively to completely shape the product. So there has been no alpha or beta because we haven't done a full product release. Um, our entire product is driven by the, the Delta sense. Um, but, you know, one story I'll tell and it's not an individual product, but it sort of just sort of shows where the market has gone. Um, I had a, and I've told this story a number of times, I really like it, but I had a wonderful experience at Bose visiting in, in Boston about how the entire culture of their company and, and their product development has had to sh really shift in the last few years. Because if you think about, you know, 10 years ago, if you bought a really nice Bose headset or, or speakers, they were what they were. And, and the reality was that product did what it did, what it was designed to do for years and years to come. And the reality is that a Bose headset cannot succeed nowadays without having to interact with other products and technologies that they don't control. So if a new version of AirPlay comes out and Bose doesn't happen to support that, you know, if they weren't thinking like this, then the competition would be beating them at that pretty rapidly. And the reality is they had to shape their entire, you know, reshape their entire structure around this idea that we are constantly, you know, 
iterating on these products and, and adding new technologies and whatnot. And therefore, we need to be thinking about our customers in that sense with sort of a real-time motion around these, these products. So that one um, I really liked because it was just this wonderful conversation about how the entire sort of culture of product development of basically releasing fewer products but maintaining them much longer um, can actually be pretty beneficial to the customer as well as the company. And, and I think we've you know experienced it internally and kind of eating our own dog food, uh, but we've seen it in so many companies. Um, one thing that's been really clear to us and has just been very interesting is, you know, earlier I described our market in two sides. I described it as the high growth technology companies and the modern enterprise. And those two have been very interesting in sort of how they approach this. The high growth technology companies are the ones that, that from the beginning really got customer validation because they grew up in this sort of uh, system. They grew up in this idea of every product they release is going to be iterated on. It's not going to be thrown out to market and forgot. Um, whereas a lot of the modern enterprises, you know, modern enterprises is a, a you know complimentary term, um, are, are companies that have been around for a hundred years where where that wasn't always the case. So those are the companies that were sort of running beta tests and thinking about beta tests and are now kind of waking up to this idea of oh I need to be iterating on these, therefore I need to be continuously customer testing as well. Um, the high growth technology companies that you know are the disruptive ones, the one that those bigger companies are kind of afraid of they're eating their lunch. Um, those are the ones that have been uh, doing this since the very beginning because their very beginning isn't that long ago. Um, so if you look at the GoPros and Fitbits and Roku's of the world, um, those companies have had very sophisticated customer testing programs almost from day one, um, where a lot of those bigger companies are just now sort of waking up to the importance of it because it's trailing kind of how they modded their, their product design to, again, catch up to what everyone else is now starting to do. It is a, a great way of looking at it, too, that the, the Delta format means that you never, ever outgrow beta testing. Uh, is you should never outgrow market testing and testing with your customers. So it just Absolutely. gives another way and lets you focus in on where there's the highest value. Yeah, what it gives you that's awesome is it gives you a community of, of sort of ready and willing participants always at your fingertips as opposed to, oh, I have to go recruit a bunch of beta testers and that's going to take a few weeks and where am I going to find them and are they good, are they not? And it becomes this idea where I have this continuous group of people. And to your point earlier, the continuous group of people have different uh, levels of experience with us, different sort of pedigree, scored differently, um, but they're always there and available for me so I can continuously engage with them. So if I have a question, I can go get that question answered that day as opposed to having to go out and recruit and, and work on something much bigger. And to your point, that absolutely mirrors Agile, right? When we're trying to move quickly, we need to be able to have a place where we can get that kind of feedback quickly and not be like, well, we'll include the market in three months. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we've talked about a ton of different things today. Uh, if you could get our listeners to do two things differently based on what we talked about today, what would that be? Um, the first would be to start thinking about delta testing. Uh, I, I think a lot of people think about a lot of small beta tests as opposed to thinking about it as an ongoing program. You know, we, we have a graphic that we've been using a lot in sort of our pitches and kind of just um, working with customers of, of sort of how product development used to work versus how it works now. And I think that it's been very obvious to the world that product development has changed. It's something that, you know, many fortunes have been made on this idea that we've moved to agile and, and things have really shifted there. And a lot of companies have built amazing things on that. Um, I think companies have been slower than you might've expected to um, build their, to rebuild their customer testing programs um, around that. And one of the sort of, concepts we talk about internally is 
is why beta testing never got standardized in companies and, and why there was never a program. And it actually goes back to my first experience with Ericsson and that story I told. The way things used to work was a product manager um, would be getting close to getting a product out to release. And they would then, they, they knew they had to run a beta. Uh, chances are no one else was going to do it for them. There's, there's more than 50% of product managers actually run their own beta tests. Um, so that was something they would do, you know, at a very inopportune time as they were getting ready to go to market. And they would do it for, you know, anywhere from four to eight weeks. And then frankly, they would forget about it. And everything they learned, they would forget by the next time they had to do it a year or 18 months later. And as a result of that happening from product manager to product manager, there typically wasn't a large energy or initiative behind centralizing that as a program. It was something that everybody did as a one-off. But now that you're constantly releasing, you can't think of it as something that I just focus on once a year. So as opposed to this huge mountain of work, um, it really is this ongoing river. And, and that's something I, I hope companies will just start to think about that. Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two, I, I will just iterate on the value of having an always online community of, of you know, evangelists and customers um, with sort of profiles of those people so you know who you are, you know what the biases are and whatnot. Having them always available to answer your question is incredibly valuable. And that's something that I think people should take advantage of and, and not take for granted if it's already there. So something that, that we've kind of figured out is a lot of our customers are using um, these communities exclusively for this testing but they're not necessarily doing everything else that they could. Um, so I'll give you an example. It was actually Sonos um, spoke at one of our recent events, and they talked about something that I thought was absolutely brilliant. They, they run something called an omnibus survey um, within their company. And, and an omnibus survey is, is this concept where um, one company will run a survey that is contributed. The questions are contributed from a number of different companies. So basically, if you have a question for a market, you can go and, and pay you know, X thousand dollars to get your question added to a survey. And when that survey goes out, it's got questions from you know, 10 different companies companies, but the end users don't know that, and then those companies get back their answers. Um, what Sonos does that I think is absolutely brilliant is they take their customer testing community and they make that omnibus survey a service that's available to their entire company. So if anyone at Sonos has a question for their audience, then once a month or so, I think it's every six weeks, um, the customer testing team, the customer validation team is running this omnibus survey in a very predictable cadence that everybody knows is coming. It's consistent. And, and they go and get those answered just as part of their own internal resource at virtually no cost. So it takes that person on the customer validation team a couple hours of work and they can have dozens of questions answered as opposed to, you know, four to $5,000 per question that are going through an external firm. So just think of these communities as, as such a valuable resource that you can use sort of in real time um, that's always available to you, but not just for, for even product teams, but sort of across the company for, for different purposes. Um, and that's something I think more companies should do because many companies do have these communities. They just don't use them um, to the maximum effect that they really could. I mean, it is, a, is a, a captive audience who not only can give you good feedback, but who will in turn like the fact you want feedback. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Awesome. Luke, this was fantastic. I really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much for the time. I, I love it. Happy to come back anytime. Like I said, I think of myself as a product manager for the company. So I definitely feel the pains of your audience. Um, I love shaping, you know, the company as, as well as our product. And, and I hope to help as many of those companies as, as we possibly can. Great. All right. Thank you, Luke. And thank you everyone for listening. That does it for today's episode. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 